The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it's nice to be back. I've been away uh, teaching the long retreat, uh, the three-month course at IMS. I taught the last six weeks of that. I was there during the election, and um, to some extent I was uh, grateful to be kind of secluded during that time. Um, and so this week is my, uh, my first week back in a more uh, community-oriented uh, situation. And part of what I'd like to do, I mean, I'm going to offer some reflections, some thoughts tonight um, um, on some things that I'm finding interesting to explore and to look at at this time. And I'd like to, to, to kind of hear from you what, what you're noticing, what you're exploring. So uh, I'd like there to be some, something of a conversation um, tonight. But I'll start with some reflections. The thing that, that occurred to me to reflect about tonight is, um, you know, how do we, with our practice, um, you know, a lot of our, our uh, practice in meditation, when we sit down and close our eyes, we, um, we explore what does it mean to let go of the content of our thoughts. We let go of thinking and, and just come back to being present in our bodies, know what's happening in the present moment. And, um, and very often there's a, a tendency to, uh, to not look at so much what our relationship to the content of our thoughts is. Um, and that seems to be a place that I think that, especially in this, um, the climate that we're in in our world, it's really useful to look at how do we relate, how can we bring our mindfulness practice to bear on the content of what's going on in the world? The content of what's going on in our thoughts, in our minds, our ideas, our views, opinions, our beliefs, what's, what's going on in the news. How do we bring awareness to this process? And what is, what is that? What it, I think we can see what the benefits of that would be. Um, the ability to, uh, to understand and to be present for how we are with, uh, with the news, for instance. Um, helps us to, uh, to not just get spun out in reactivity, helps us to potentially come, uh, come into our, um, our, uh, our being with a sense of commitment to how do I engage in the world? Again, not, not that our, our, our practice is about dis- disconnecting from the world, but you know, as we connect to content and know how we are with that content, there may well be some urge to, uh, to, to take some action. And how can we take that action skillfully? That, that our, our practice can support this. And so really this is, is kind of an exploration of how do we practice in community? How do we practice in relationship to the world? How do we practice in relationship to what's going on in the world? The first thing I, I'll just bring in uh, is something that one of my meditation teachers has suggested, um, and that is when you're in your daily life, um, he has this, this notion of what he calls 50-50 mindfulness. 
50% of the attention, 50% of your attention is kind of taking in what's happening. Having a conversation, reading the news, um, what you're thinking about, what you're doing, maybe driving or washing the dishes or whatever it is. Whatever it is that you're engaged in. 50% of the attention is kind of connected to what you're doing, how you're doing it. And 50% of the attention is on how you are while doing that. How you are while reading that. How you are while having that conversation. And so this is, uh, this is uh, the beginning of exploring for ourselves what is the... Not, not we notice a thought, we notice that there's content, and we somehow just try to d- disconnect from the content, but at the same time that we are taking in content, taking in news, taking in what we're doing, how we're doing it, who we're talking to, where we are, we can also connect to... How's my heart? Am I tense? Am I at ease? Is there agitation in the mind? Is there confusion or anger or uh, patience or desire? That we can, we can begin to, to connect with how we are in relationship to what's happening. This is really a very basic mindfulness skill. I mean, we, we learn this internally in a way. We can play with this internally in our meditation. Anytime a thought arises, to, to, so this is, this is a tool that we can begin this exploration in, in our sitting practice. A thought arises about a memory. Maybe a thought arises about something you've, you've heard on the news or something that somebody has told you. In that moment of some, a thought arising, those thoughts have an impact on us. You know, it's, it's not that... It's, our thoughts, thoughts have a major impact on our being. It doesn't matter whether the thoughts are true or not. It doesn't matter... Uh, whether the idea is right or wrong, when something arises in our mind, it has an impact on us. And so we can begin to notice that impact. And in in meditation, we can explore that. A thought arises, a memory, perhaps an argument we had with somebody a few days ago. When we return, you know, uh, the mind kind of often gets pulled off into those. We lose some mindfulness at that point often. But in the moment when mindfulness returns, right there we have an opportunity to meet how are we with that, the fact that the mind has been thinking that thought. What, what has been created as the mind wanders off into that thought of that argument or that memory or that plan or, or that um, news story that the mind has gone to, uh, there's something that, that is constructed, often an emotional response. And to at that point to say kind of to yourself, oh, I've been thinking, let me come back to the breath. It's kind of like bypassing what's actually going on in that moment, which is, whew, there's a response. And so the mindfulness can be seen as that one of the tools that we can use in that moment is, oh, the mind has been thinking. The mind is now mindful. How, how is this being now having been thinking for even a few seconds? 
Oh, that thought of that friend that I was arguing with. Oh, the heart is pounding. There's a, a feeling of clenching in the stomach. And the, the, there's frustration. That's what's present in this moment as a result of that content. And rather than having some idea that, oh, that's, I, sh- I should uh, go back to the breath or somehow not be feeling that because it was created by a wandering mind. It's like, no, that is what is here in this moment. And so opening to that with mindfulness. So we can begin to practice that skill. We can pre- begin to practice the skill of, of noticing how we are with content in the quiet of our meditation. Not just say, I mean, sometimes we can think of maybe hovering with the content of the thought a little bit as we come back. Maybe not so much thinking about the thought, but certainly hovering with the how am I in this moment, having been thinking that thought in the moment that mindfulness returns. That will give you some beginning skills for navigating this uh, work with content in our daily lives. You know, we, we see often, actually, some of the things that it's interesting to see in our minds. We see, um, you know, some of the thoughts we think, you know, they're, they're, they're not based very much in reality sometimes, you know, so sometimes we recognize that our mind kind of goes off constructing some idea I remember at one point in a relationship, my mind would go off thinking about something my partner might do, and then I'd get angry at my partner for what I thought they might do, and you know, I'd come, I'd come back from that, and it's like, yeah, well, that is something they might do, and I, you know, that anger was was created. Doesn't matter that the person hadn't done that. There was those thoughts had a real impact. And this is happening, too, in our world right now. I've been actually kind of curious and interested in reflecting right now on the patterns in our minds and how the patterns in our minds um, um, function and how it's being... It's like this mind has its kind of craziness. You know, it thinks some random thought about what a person might do and gets angry. It makes up a story about something. And there are real consequences to that. I mean, there's real physical consequences, real emotional consequences to the mind making up a story. And we see this playing out in the world right now. There are real consequences to people making up fake news. So this, it's really useful to to notice how we are with this, to, to, to recognize that it, it, in some ways it doesn't matter. Well, it matters whether the news is real or not. But we have, to, we have to deal with the consequences. We have to find a way to, to navigate the consequences and the impact of greed, aversion, and delusion. This is what, we're, 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 what, we, what we are asked asking ourselves, how can we do this? How do we navigate greed, aversion, and delusion on the national scale? And, you know, we have, to fer- we have to have some sense of how to navigate it in our own minds. And I very much think that the tools that we can use in our own minds to navigate greed, aversion, and delusion, we can begin to play with in our communities, in our uh, relationships in the world. 
to play with these same tools. And so this, this tool about noticing how content of a thought impacts our experience. We can play with this, um, you know, reading, reading the news. Like, uh, uh, you could play with this, um, you know, opening the... I, I do this with my, with my iPad. I open the New York Times and I just take in the headlines right now and um, feel the feelings. <laughs> so, again, looking at, here's content. This is, this is content. Um, it has an impact on us. How is it impacting me? To not somehow feel that that content is separate from my, my, uh, my spiritual practice, but in fact to begin to try to integrate exploring how can I be present in the world for this news or that story. And then we might begin, so I find that um, the first exploring it internally in our own meditation practice, noticing how we are with our own thoughts, and then perhaps taking it into an, a situation of reading the newspaper. It might be, at, at first we, we need to start by you know, reading a few sentences in the newspaper and then consciously, like a practice for the first 15 minutes or so of reading the news, you might do this, like a minute of reading something and then a minute of, okay, how am I having read that? So that it's a kind of a back and forth. The the 50-50 mindfulness that my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, talks about comes with practice, the ability to, to read something or be engaged in a conversation and simultaneously know what you're talking about and how you are while you're talking about it, know what you're reading and how you are while you're reading it, know what you're writing and how you are while you're writing it, know what you're saying and how you are while you're saying it. That comes with practice. Initially, it may need to be kind of uh, swapping, you know, read a few sentences and then come in. And so in this, uh, in this exploration, you can take some time in your day to kind of have your... your Newspaper reading meditation. You know, make it a practice. Explore what does it mean to really notice how you are with this content. And at this point, you know, just looking at can I be present for the experience? There is likely to be there are likely to be times when the response or the reaction to that content, much as in our own minds, sometimes there are thoughts in our own minds that are really sticky, thoughts that just take over. It's like if we look at that thought, if we try to be with that thought or to notice what's going on around that thought, it like takes us down the rabbit hole, and we just get caught in the in the maelstrom of that. We don't. We lose our mindfulness while we try to do that. And so we need to learn the skills about how do we uh, recognize when we're caught or getting caught that thoroughly and, and learn some tools, some techniques for stepping back. Maybe this is not the time to try to be with that particular uh, complex of content and emotions. And so likewise with the, the external content. There are times where, where, we, where we are overwhelmed by 
the content. We read a, a, a paragraph and our minds just go ranting. <laughs> you know, and, and at that point, it's like, okay, maybe I need to take this in even smaller doses or um, give myself a break. Or, okay, I cannot perhaps look at how I am with this right now. So let me use some of the, to- the other tools of mindfulness of perhaps redirecting the attention for a little while. Come, come back to some balance so that I can be able to be present for what's happening. To be able to meet my experience. To be able to meet this relationship to the content. And over time, we may be able to even um, uh, work with this in, in dynamic conversation with people. Um, be able to uh, hear what somebody is saying and have some capacity to recognize the, uh, the reactivity or the fear or the confusion or the greed that is arising in that time, and and perhaps be able to, um, to 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 moderate what would come out of our mouths. I had this happen a, a little while ago. I was having a conversation with somebody about political, a political conversation, and something that person said, kind of a, a charge rose in in me, a little bit of a need to, you know, need to defend or, you know, prove a point or something. And I felt that. I felt that charge. And I was mindful enough to recognize, okay, take a moment, take a breath. And instead of trying to jump in and make my point, I chose to ask a question and say, I said, well, you know, what is it about that that is uh, concerning you? You know, what is it about that situation that's concerning you? Um, and, and, and then the conversation could continue. So it, it both gave me a chance to settle my mind a little bit and to go to kind of a deeper level in the conversation. So the, the, the tools of be, beginning to be present with this content, first perhaps in our own you know, the privacy of our own meditation, you know, learning how to be present with our own thoughts. These skills will help us to, uh, to meet others and to perhaps engage in more skillful ways in community. And the other thing I want to recognize is... Um, um, this is a little bit aside from the looking at content and how we are with content. But, um, um, you know, there's sometimes an idea that, you know, we're not supposed to, I don't know, be angry or something. And, you know, there's so much, there's so much going on right now um, that... Uh, to expect ourselves to not be angry is like, that's a really high bar. And um, in our own hearts and minds, you know, what, what we explore when we explore our inner life, when we're sitting down in meditation, we're exploring what's coming up just in our own hearts and minds. 
the practice isn't about rejecting or repressing reactive emotions. It's not about saying anger is bad. It is about opening to how can I be with this anger and not be carried away by this anger? Not be uh, just kind of driven by this anger. How can I be present with it? There's a, there's a kind of a healing that happens internally as we're able to um, allow our own reactivity in a way that is not neither repressing it nor um, fueling it. It's this, this middle way that the Buddha talked about. And, and as we explore that, we see the possibility of what, what might be learned. We, there's a lot to learn about our own hearts and minds, how anger is created, what it's constructed around. It's often constructed around wanting to be safe, wanting to be happy, feeling frustrated about that because things are impermanent or unreliable or out of control. And so there's this, uh, you know, this reaction that happens is that wish to be safe and happy, you know, butts up against this uh, unreliable world, this out of control world. And so the, that reactivity is born. And yet, and yet the, the uh, practice of opening to that reactivity, the practice of saying, okay, heart, this is what anger feels like. In my own experience, it begins to kind of unwind. It doesn't like, you know, just take the anger and throw it out. It begins to unwind the threads so that we begin to understand the, the root in the wish to be safe, the wish to be happy. And also we understand, wow, and things are unreliable. Things are out of control. And the heart doesn't like the fact that these two have to coexist. These two sides co- have to coexist. And yet they do. And so the, the, the opening to, I really look at the opening to our reactive emotions as being kind of like, it's pointers both to this deep wish for our, our well-being, to this wish for love for ourselves, and to the truths of the way this world is. If we were to just try to repress that anger, we miss the opportunity to find those threads. And I, really, I believe the same is true in our in our um, collective experience right now as a country, the anger that's so on the surface right now, the frustration, the, the hatred that's so on the surface. The Buddha's first noble truth, there is suffering right there. It is, it is suffering what's happening. And his encouragement to us was understand suffering. This is what we do internally. Understanding suffering doesn't mean figuring it out, thinking about it, but that opening to it, meeting it, beginning to see how it's created out of this collision between our wish for happiness and the truth of unreliable and out of control. So we see something about that. Understanding suffering means kind of understanding those threads. And we can explore this also in the world. 
the, 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 the content of the, the hatred and the fear and the confusion and the anger and the frustration that's so much in our world right now I, I do believe as a collective in this community and in, in the Dharma community, we do have some of the tools that can help us to uh, to meet that, to meet that suffering. Not to meet hatred with hatred, but to meet hatred with some measure of Willingness to uh, understand. And I, I have to say that, that that hatred being met with understanding doesn't mean not acting. You know, if, 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 you, see, if you see something arising, you see a situation in which uh, somebody is being targeted by hatred, it's like, you know, what's called for is is not just simply, oh, there's hatred in that being, you know. Oh, there's suffering in that being. It's, it may be called for to actually step in and, and take some action to provide uh, some diffusing of the situation, hopefully, support for the person being targeted, diffusing perhaps the anger of the person targeting Maybe, maybe that's possible. It takes courage to do that. And the, 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 so the, in our own hearts and minds, when we see anger arising, you know, sometimes when we see these difficult reactive states arising, you know, sometimes it, there is a moment for taking action. You know, sometimes we see, wow, this one, as I spoke to this a few minutes ago, it's like sometimes we see our hearts just really kind of going into the rabbit hole of that reactivity. And so that might be a time to step in and bring in some loving kindness in that moment. And we, we learn our tools for navigating our own hearts and minds. And sometimes it, it's not simply about witnessing. Sometimes it's about taking action. And so we learn. We learn our edges there. We'll make mistakes We'll uh, get confused, we'll overstep bounds, we'll understep bounds, but I think we, uh, we can use this, the tools of, of um, being present for what's happening and how we are with that to help us engage skillfully. So that's probably, those are some reflections for me. I'm, I want to hear from you. What's up? up for you. I want to say that uh, when we react or when we take in some some kind of uh, information that you were talking about, it's also about the value we, we attach to this information or the value we attach to the person or to the organization that is spreading this information. Yes. And being uh, reflecting on that value may be useful in order to attach less value <laughs> to this information that uh, might 
influence uh, uh, the way we receive it and the way we live it and the way we react to it. Yes. And I'd like to add also another thing is that uh, when we react to something, it's because we, there's a cause of this reaction that, that we may feel. And generally this cause is uh, related to some kind of attachment to something. I mean, it's true. That, so I have a couple of thoughts about what you, you offered. Um, so the notion of when we take in content, often it relates to our value, our views, beliefs around what we, uh, you know, uh, uh, around the, the information, our values, our beliefs around the person who's offering the information. There's a whole, like, host of stuff that comes with it. And it's really useful to begin to see the layers. You know, it's not just about the content. It's also about who said it uh, and what I believe about it. And so to, to begin, that's, that's another thing. We look in our own minds also. It's an interesting exploration in our own minds. One simple reflection um, that I often use and suggest for others when there's a kind of a, a potent uh, reactivity going on in our experience, a, a potent set of thoughts related to that reactivity, perhaps. Um, just dropping in the question, what is being believed right now? Um, because sometimes those values, those views, those all of the things that you mentioned are kind of below the level of our conscious awareness. You know, they're, they're not so obvious to us. They kind of just come with the package somehow. And so it's really helpful to, to see if we can begin to get under the... Um, the, the layers and notice all of these other layers and we'll see that we have you know r- responses to all the layers it's, it's not just a simple a simple thing and if, if I may add uh, just a last thing is that uh, even before hearing the information just the desire to open the iPad or whatever yes. the, 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 the mechanism that brought us to the information is also part of uh, of uh, of the thing is that we there is a cause that bring us there. Yes, and the, the I mean, desire to know or, or the, the the wanting to to get the latest information or to get the latest news or or to follow a story. Yes. And, it, and starts, it starts even before we hear a- the story. Absolutely. <laughs> it definitely starts before we hear the story. Another one that I'll point out that I, I've seen a lot of and is a big, a big part in the news these days is um, basically, you know, when we go for news, um, are we looking for news that confirms our views? <laughs> You know, are we are we orienting our opening to the you know the particular website that will give me news that I tend to agree with, and not you know or you know or listen or or open the 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 side that I tend to disagree with in order to disagree with it. <laughs> so you know, so we can see see some of the motivations. You know, it's really interesting to see some of the motivations. And again, as we see those motivations, perhaps 
recognizing that. So again, this is, you know, noticing how we are in engaging with real-world content and real-world activities. You know, as we notice that tendency to, like, want to look on a, on a news site that tends to agree with us, you know, how the mind works around that. You know, just how the mind tends to f- search out information that agrees with our pre-existing biases. And doing that just keeps re-cementing that. That, that. I see that happening on the, the national level right now. You know, it's like that's, that, that's, what's, that's a lot of what's going on. So, you know, again, it's interesting to see that pattern internally in our minds. And, you know, I, here's, another, here's another reason why I think it's, it's useful to do this kind of uh, exploration, the, the understanding our minds internally and knowing how we are inside you know, we, we start to see um, our own minds are not free of these biases. Our own minds are not free of these reactivities and these tendencies to hatred and aversion and greed and delusion. And as we see it playing out on such a large scale, you know, the reason it's playing out on a large scale is because 7 billion people on the planet have greed, aversion, and delusion in their minds and they're not watching it very much. So the more we can watch it, (laughs) the more we can bring a little bit of, maybe a little pockets of sanity into, uh, into the world. So, you know, but for me, it it gives, it gives some sense not of, uh, of dismissal or, you know, I'm better than, than other people because I'm looking at my mind, but it gives me a deep sense of compassion for just how hard it is. I mean, I've been doing this for for 20 years, and I still see the mind moving into, uh, you know, these kinds of tendencies to to lash out when something, I, I see something, I mean, here's the other piece I wanted to bring in, you know, so when I see something in just happening, there's a tendency to get angry. You know, that, that, that it's like, no, it shouldn't be that way. And yes, it shouldn't be that way. And yet, the, the anger in there kind of um, constricts the heart that can act more fully with compassion. So, uh, you know, so, so that, that, you know, so I see, I see just how the mind tends to, to go there. The mind tends to get caught in my own mind and of course this is happening you know so so we're um we're seeing the playing out of of greed aversion and delusion the other piece i wanted to to just mention is just that piece of um you know yes we do have attachments to things and that's why we have a lot of reactivity but some of the attachment is to not wanting things to be unjust and you know i i don't necessarily want to uh you know i don't i don't i don't i would say i guess i would say i don't want to let go of that orientation towards acting towards justice and yet i hope that i can release some of the anger in my heart towards the people perpetrating the injustice. It's kind of like more coming to the action. That action 
That action is not acceptable. But it doesn't make the person irredeemable. Um, so, so, you know, I think there, there's sometimes a little bit of a danger to, to kind of just say, and I see this again with the fake news thing, you know, the, the whole fake news thing is just kind of frightening in a way because I read an article this morning that says it's, it's not so much the fake news itself, but it's the, uh, the way it makes people not able to be sure whether real news is trustable. You know, that, that um, it, it's like, well, you know, somebody says, well, you know, birds will swoop down from the sky and carry us away. No. Prove it. <laughs> you know, birds are going to swoop down from the sky and carry us away. No, that's not true. Well, you know, I've heard that that's true. You know, how do we know it's not true? You know, it's like there's always that, you know, we can't, we can't, somehow prove that it's not true. And so it becomes this thing, you know. And um, there's a big difference between that and something along the lines of, you know, if you walk in the desert and don't carry water, that will be dangerous for your system. So yes, that there's, a, a, there's a form of being attached to a belief around that, but it's hugely different from, you know, the first one. And so... So, you know, I think what we need to do around being attached is looking at kind of the, mm, I would say all attachments are not equally uh, invalid <laughs> somehow. You know, that, that uh, you know, so the attachment to birds will swoop down out of the sky and carry us away, that's really delusional. The attachment to, I need to carry water when I go into the desert. You know, there, prob- there could be some attachment to, I need to survive this journey through the desert. Some attachment to life. And yet, there's a kind of truth to that. That we need to carry water if, we, if we're going to survive. And so, you know, the, the, I think we need to look at what it is that we're attached to. We really need to know what we're attached to. And look at that attachment. And, and not throw out all attachments as equally, equally invalid. So, yeah, just those are some thoughts, yeah. So I know during retreats, of course... Um, um, stilling the mind is part of the reason for being there and therefore insulation from outside world. Um, I'm curious at this three-month retreat um, uh, were the uh, 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 results of the election announced at any point? And if, if not, then how soon afterward did people find out? So um, during presidential election years at the three-month course, this happens every four years, <laughs> Uh, we do post um, for people who want to know. Uh, we put a sign on the board and cover it with a piece of paper. And people can go to the board and lift up the uh, piece of paper and find out who won the, result, who won the election. Um, and so, yes, people found out on Wednesday after the election. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, um, it was quite interesting you know, it was it was pretty um, powerful impact. 
There were some people who hadn't wanted to know the results of the election, but I think there were only there were only a handful of people that got through the retreat without knowing who won the election. Um, one person who I, I spoke to said, you know, I hadn't intended to look at the results, but when I walked into the hall that morning, you know, and he hadn't been there to hear the gasps when people raised the, <laughs> the piece of paper, um, you know, that person hadn't, hadn't been privy to any of that, but when he walked into the hall and felt the energy of the people in the hall, he knew the results of the election. So, you know, it was, it was in the field. Um, and we broke long tradition on the three-month course and uh, had small groups for those who wished to uh, speak in community around the emotions that were coming up. Um, that, so, so there was some processing of the content. We definitely processed the content in, in some ways. And we, we spoke to... We didn't speak directly to the, um, the results of the election in our Dharma talks. Actually, if you're interested, you know, the Dharma talks for the three-month course are, are posted, and so you can listen to the Dharma talks that were happening around that time. Um, and, you know, we spoke. We spoke to the suffering of, uh, of what was happening for people um, directly in the Dharma talks so that, so that uh, you know, it wasn't... It didn't feel like it was it was not um, addressed. We didn't directly speak to the content, but we spoke to the impact of the content. And we did have that that group, you know, that the small groups where people could directly, in a council style, so not conversational, but just in a council style, uh, um, have a have a a sense of. Holding it in community. And that's what I realized was so important. Um, you know, sitting by ourselves for three months and having to hold that information, you know, it, it, was, it was hard for many people. But just having a group sitting in a room and hearing the, um, the field of people also working with the same things, you know, the same kinds of responses and reactions it created a kind of settling in the community so that the whole community could hold that and, um, and do the inner work. Yeah, so it was, it was very inspiring, actually, to see how it worked. And uh, I, was, I was really... Um, um, I, felt, I, felt, I felt happy to be part of the team that could figure out something... <laughs> to kind of find this middle ground of addressing both the, you know, addressing the, the impact of the content in a way that's, it, it, I think it largely worked for the whole community. Thank yeah. you. Um, I, you know, one thing I, I noticed since the election is I, I kind of have sort of two tracks in my mind, and one is just trying to understand, you know, what was going on with the electorate. I mean, I'm going to get a little bit political here, but what was going on, you know, voted for Trump and people that didn't vote for Trump. Um, and the, sort of there, there's all of that that goes on in my mind. And then there's everything that goes on 
around who the next president's going to be, and that sort of personality and the way that, mi that particular mind works. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I finished a book that was about Germany in the 1930s. Um, and it was really eerie to see some of the, per the similarities and some of the parallels. And so I kind of feel like, you know, we're all in one way or another trying to process this and, and, and sort of be students of the Dharma. But I also feel like there are some really powerful forces at work. And I kind of wonder whether what we do as sort of Dharma students really is enough. And um, again, sort of verging on, into my own experience, a couple of years ago I was in, in Poland, I went to Auschwitz, and I spent a day at Auschwitz. And there, there's a power in that place that sort of was more powerful than anything I'd ever experienced. And so I, you know, to me it's a little bit like, um, 9-11 where something very, very big happened and we don't yet understand how big it may be. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just in terms of the Dharma, I think you're right that we do have tools that we can use um, and no one person can sort of, you know, sort of influence the way the world unfolds going forward. But... It, it, it's potentially a very dangerous time. I agree. And the, that's why I pointed to the, the, the practice of the Dharma isn't just about witnessing. You know, that, that I think that the, tool, the tools of witnessing are crucial. It, the, the tools of witnessing will help us to be able to meet what's happening and find a way or, or learn or understand, you know, this is the action that I wish to take. Um, you know, the, the, I, I think you're right. You're right. It's not, you know, as, as I said, it's not about, it's not about non-action. Um, and yet I do think that the action needs to be grounded in um, awareness and ethics, you know how do we how do we move forward with awareness and ethics? Um, and uh, I don't know the answer. You know, for myself in my inner work, um, I have seen that often, you know, often what happens in inwardly is that the witnessing of something. With that witnessing, wisdom arises that supports a shift, a transformation. I, I think that that kind of witnessing can do the same in our culture, you know, that we perhaps can witness. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how the wisdom is going to arise or what, you know, what is it that I'm going to be inspired to do? I don't know what that's going to be. But uh, I do trust the, the deeper... Uh, investigation to yield something of wisdom and that wisdom 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 is not just a passive thing wisdom acts 
like compassion acts. And so that's, that's where I'm hoping to come from, is you know, using these tools for the Dharma to help open us to the wisdom that, that um, hopefully can not have us go down that same path that, that Germany went down. I see a lot of people with that on their radar you know, it's not, I think perhaps at the time of, of uh, Germany in the 30s, you know, that was not on people's radar. And so there's some wisdom from the past that's able to, to, to come to bear on now. And, you know, I think we, we all have to, I think it's incumbent on all of us to, to be present for that possibility of, of wisdom, of how, how can we act. And I think we each perhaps need to, um, you know, find our own niche for action. <laughs> there's so many different. There's so many different places uh, that may be called for in action. That uh, I, I, I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging myself at this point and others, unless they already have a sense, to listen to where it feels like there's a call for action. Um, because I, I, you know, we're not all going to be able to act on all fronts. So, uh, so some wisdom in terms of what my own personal um, skills and um, um, history and all of that kind of guide me towards in in terms of response. So, yeah, thank you. I find it's interesting as I'm applying my mindfulness to my emotional situation, I find that I'm overwhelmed with sadness for the suffering of the world. And I sit and be with that. And uh, I also think it's interesting to watch fear come and go that I'm not used to seeing. And I find that if I feed the fear, it stays there. (laughs) And it will spread out to the people around me, which I, I don't want. But it also, if I don't feed it, it'll fade away. And if I focus on, you know, the paramis, that's a good way to take my mind off of it. And then I'm in a better mind state. And the third thing is I think, I really believe compassion is the only logical response to the suffering of the world. And I feel that maybe by me trying to set an example of compassion, maybe that's how I can bring action to these yes and compassion is definitely an active emotion you know it is not a passive emotion you know compassion comes with the desire to alleviate suffering it's not just about witnessing and you know that that the exploration around compassion is very much um you know we move we move um in you know from the near and far enemies to compassion, you know, cruelty being the far enemy and um, um, pity being kind of the near enemy. And so, you know, we find ourselves in that terrain when we are meeting suffering. The, the, the cruelty might be the cruelty towards those perp- perpetrating the suffering, the desire to harm them, uh, or, the, and, and, uh, or the pity might be a feeling, a, a kind of a separation, a sense of separation from the person who is um, suffering. And I think that actually there's a real opportunity for us 
in um, in our communities to develop a real compassion because um, it's so clear. It seems so clear to me that at this point, you know, it, it, it was. It, it sometimes is easier living in this country, living in uh, a privileged situation, really, to feel like you know what's happening on the other side of the world. Oh, that couldn't happen here, you know. So here it is, you know. And uh, uh, so there's there's the the real recognition, you know, when something is happening to somebody else, I'm feeling more of a connection. It's like, yeah, that might be me. So that that brings more of the sense of real compassion, where it, it's it's like the exchanging self and other. It's not, oh, poor you, it's happening to you, let me help you. It's more coming from that sense of that might be me, let's figure out how to navigate this. Yeah, thank you. And one more over here. Well, I, I've mostly just been noticing that um, a sense of shutting down and and just feeling like the the explosion is too big to be picking a piece of to yeah to work on, um, particularly with the cabinet nominations. So, and this is this is, I think, uh, you know, this is akin to in our inner life. Uh, a very like a tsunami of a reactivity, right? And so we, uh, it, it is, can be helpful to recognize that overwhelm, and and give yourself give yourself something else to attend to. You know, know that this is a time. You know, maybe I, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, you know, I realized that I can. I can look at the news a little bit in the morning, but I should not look at it before I go to bed. And and so that kind of thing of, of, of seeing when is there strength enough to actually take a little bit in and and being very careful. And if you find yourself overwhelmed, using tools, you know, listening to... I particularly like Mozart... <laughs> You know, listening to uh, Vivaldi or something that kind of uplifts, you know, kind of some of that mm. uplifting kind of music um, to, 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 to balance the mind a little bit. So, so use the tools. You know, in our meditation practice, we don't keep trying to be with something that's overwhelming. We, we find ways to step away from it. Um, and there may be times, at certain times, for, for some... Uh, you know, like I, I can't, I can, I can just barely imagine, perhaps, like what it must be like in Aleppo right now. You know, it's like people can't step away from the overwhelm of that. You know, so sometimes we just have to get through it and do the best we can with that. Um, self-compassion as much as possible for the overwhelm. Some sense of yes, it's like this. This is really hard. You know, so that, so that sometimes there are times where we, we just have to um, kind of get through it as we can. I, th- I think an- another thing is just realizing that a couple of things that help her, I look at it and say, of course, in a situation where 
300 odd million people have to choose between two individuals, no matter who wins, even if it's the one that you wanted to win, there's going to be all sorts of disappointments because there's no way you can pick exactly what you wanted. It's not like you can customize. You just have this, choice A or choice B, or choice C if you don't, you know, there's a few other choices. And to just recognize that probably everybody except the winner at this point is in the boat of, I'm not sure I really wanted this one, (laughs) this outcome. Um, And the other thing is just to realize that a lot of what's going on right now is trying to find who's to blame. That's another really interesting point to look and, at. And, yeah, to and really, that, that's not so helpful to go there, right? And to really yeah. see that a lot of it is like trying to construct a simple argument for who's to blame or what's going on that isn't very helpful. And, and to catch myself wanting to like react to something that's, oh, that's wrong, that's not true, or whatever, or that's not fair, and go, yeah, but is there any way to respond to that that just doesn't yes. add to the cycle? And I think there was a lot of that going on in the 30s, too, is just finger-pointing and gossip and rumor and blame. So I think and, that's, a really, that's another really important um, similarity to in our own minds. You know, we often try to figure out, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? Or, you know, who's to blame? Who put me here? And actually just looking at, here's where we are. How do we meet this? Understanding that it's conditioned. Understanding that it's come about through conditions. Uh, And some looking back at conditions can be useful. But, you know, our primary thing right now is meeting this. How do we meet this? And find a way to respond somewhat skillfully as, as we can and we need to stop so thank you for your participation in this okay.